If you got your Bibles, let's go to Psalm chapter 16. I'm not going to ask you to stand again, just keep your seat. Um, Psalm chapter 16, we're going to be talking this morning about overcoming the fear of death. And specifically, overcoming the fear of death through the resurrection. You're going to see what I'm talking about here in just a few minutes, but we'll read through Psalm 16, and then we'll get into our message. Psalm 16, we'll read the the whole psalm. It says this, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, or to Yahweh, You are my Adonai, or You are my Master. So he says to God, You are my Master, and I have no good apart from You. As for the saints in the land, or the people of God, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all of my delight. But the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion, and the Lord is my cup. You hold my lot, or you secure it. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or to the place of the dead where the dead dwell. Or you will not let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, once again we come to You and we just ask that You would help us to, to hear from You today. Father, I pray that no one will be able to leave here thinking that um, the preacher the preacher's opinion was spoken or the preacher said anything. Lord, I pray that the only thing people will say when they leave is, thus said the Lord. Lord, I pray that they would know that they have heard You speak. Father, help us to open Your Word in such a way that, that Father, we understand it. Father, that we, we hear it clearly and that, Father, it changes us today. Father, I just ask that You would accomplish this for us and I ask You to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, again, we're talking about overcoming the fear of death. I remember, um, anybody in here ever had a scare where maybe you thought you, you like Fred Sanford? It's the big one, Elizabeth. <laughs> Come on, anybody in here ever been there? You, um, you had this pain that you just didn't know what it was and you thought, oh, man, this may be it. I mean, I may, I may be fixing to meet my Maker. And you know, there is, a, there is a fear that comes with that. I remember um, I was 35 years old when I remember my first one, but um, I remember I had kidney stones for the first time, but I, I didn't know what it was. I'd never had them before. All I knew is something is ripping apart inside of me. That's all I knew. And, and, um, and I can remember um, on the way there, 
I literally looked up to the Lord and said, I'll see you in a minute. I mean, I thought, this is it. This is it. I'm on my way. And then there have been other times that you get this pain in your chest and you think, okay, Lord, this is it. I'm, I'm on my way. I'm fixing to see you here in a little bit. Well, for whatever reason, God hasn't seen fit to call me home yet. But there have been several, several scares, I guess, if you will. And you know, that is one thing, one type of fear of death that I'm talking about overcoming this morning. But that's not the only type I'm overcoming. Because I believe that there is always just a little bit of a fear of the unknown. A little bit of a fear of, I'm not concerned about where my salvation stands. I'm not concerned about where I'm going next. But that crossing over, they don't call it the chilly Jordan for no reason. The crossing over is a... It, it, it's an unknown, and it's something that I believe most people, some probably may not, but most people think about it, and most people deal with it. And so, I'm not necessarily talking about that. Let me show you. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 through 15, let me show you what this says. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, He Himself likewise partook of the same things. Partook of what? Flesh and blood, Right? So this is where He became human, okay? God Almighty, the, the, God becomes flesh and dwells among us, alright? And here's why He did it. That through death. So He came for one primary reason. He came to die. And through this death, He would destroy the one who has the power of death. And who are we talking about here? Satan. And how does Satan have the power of death? Because the only power, real power he has is leading you into sin, and the wages of sin is death. And so ultimately, if he can lead you into sin, he leads you into death, and he holds that power. And so, Jesus came to destroy this one who has this power, and He came to deliver all those who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. What is slavery? Bondage. Means you're in bondage to something that it's a, it, it masters over you and you can't get out of it. And so I begin to ask the question, what does it mean to be in lifelong slavery to the fear of death? And here's one of the things that I come up with. You, your fear of death and your love of this life are the motivations behind all of your sinful slavery. This slave to sinfulness that you, that you um, tend to be sometimes, uh, except for the fact that Jesus sets you free from it. But you still fight this sinfulness, this tendency. And all of this, slave, this uh, sinful slavery comes back to the fact that you actually fear death and don't realize it, and you love this life. So it's not necessarily demonstrated in the fact that you are trembling and fearing and scared of dying, but what you don't realize is you are scared of dying because you live this life as if it's the only life you have to live. Now let me explain it to you, because I know it don't make sense yet, just stay with me. Hebrews chapter 11, there are two examples I want to show you. Look at Moses. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24 through 26. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing, he made a choice here, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Now, now before I read this next one, what do you think it means here that um, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh? Do you know what it would have meant to be the son of Pharaoh's 
of Pharaoh's daughter. He could have had any life he wanted. But he did not put his focus on this life. Instead, he was not scared to lose this life. He was not scared of dying to this life. Instead, he looks to the next life and he makes a decision and chooses to be mistreated with the people of God and suffer the reproach of Christ. Look what it says. Choosing rather, he cons- choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And then look, what, look at this. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was what? He was looking at the next life. And so fear of death had no hold over him. He had no slavery in this life that made him think that if I reject this pleasure, then I may not ever get to have a pleasure like this. Or if I don't fulfill this satisfaction, I may... He didn't care what he had to deny in this life. He would choose to be mistreated and choose to reject all the passing pleasures of sin in order to look forward to the next life. Do you see what I'm saying? And so a lot of times it's the love of this life that actually equals the fear of death. You don't want to lose this life. You can't lose this life because in your mind, you're not looking forward. You're so focused on right now, you're still thinking, this is all I've got. And I've got to make the most of this. Next, we look at the apostles. Look at the apostles. Well, I'll just think about the apostles. I didn't give you no scripture for this for a sake of time. Where were the apostles? right after the death of Christ, but before the resurrection of Christ. Were they out boldly proclaiming the gospel? They was hiding behind locked doors for fear of the Jews, for fear of their lives, right? But somewhere between that point and Acts, they become so bold that each one of them are willing to give their lives any, everything in order to preach this gospel. What happened? They saw the risen Lord. They saw the resurrected Jesus Christ. Until they saw His true power over... They had seen His power over death with Lazarus. You remember that story? But now this guy is dead. And how can a dead man do anything for anybody else? And so they're hiding. But then when Jesus comes back from the dead, they say, wow, this guy has the power over death. And I don't have to be afraid to die. I can live my life. I can follow Him. And I can look forward to the life that He promises me that I will have. I can deny sin. I can deny the fears that I feel. And I can follow Him with all my heart to the point that every one of those disciples except the Apostle John were crucified and died in miserable, tormenting ways. And they were glad to do it. Happy to do it. Because they did not fear death. And so what I want to talk to you this morning about is overcoming trying to hang on to this life because ultimately it is a slavery of the fear of death is what it is. I want you to understand the apostles did not believe in YOLO. For y'all young hip folks this morning, y'all know what YOLO is? Somebody tell me, what's YOLO? You only live once. The apostles didn't believe that. No, they knew that you only really live once. And we're not living that right now. 
And so I will gladly give up this life because I know this life only leads to death. That's it. And I will gladly, I will gladly give up this life and be free by seeing the resurrected Lord and following Him. So anyway, here's what I want to be able to look at this morning. I want to be able to look at this Scripture, and I want you to understand that this Scripture in Psalm 16, David knew he was facing death. Look at verse 1 of Psalm 16. Notice the first thing you see is a prayer. He says here, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take my refuge. So what we have here is David understands that if God does not preserve or protect or keep His life, then it's going to be taken from Him. Matter of fact, when you go over to verse 10, notice what he says in verse 10. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or to the place of the dead. You will not let your holy ones see corruption. In other words, David knew that he's facing death. He is likely going to the grave. But his hope in this psalm is that God will not forget him in the grave. Even if I die, I'm not concerned about losing this life because I know that God is going to preserve me for true life. And so that's the first thing I want you to see is that this psalm is about David overcoming the fear of death through what he knows about God. Now I want you to also understand that many of the Old Testament saints believed and looked forward to a resurrection. Uh, Look at Job chapter 19 verse 25 and 26. For I know that my Redeemer lives, this is Job, and at the last day He will stand upon the earth. Job knew this. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. You hear what Job is saying? And we believe Job is actually the oldest book in the Bible. And yet the oldest book in the Bible, Job knew that even if his body is destroyed, and it will be, because it's flesh, and yet God is going to raise it up, and in His flesh, I'm going to see God. They knew of a resurrection. Let me show you another one. Look at Psalm chapter 21, verse 4. He asked life of you, and you gave it to Him. Length of days for how long? The psalmist knew that there was coming a day that God was going to give His people life forever and ever. He was going to raise them up from the dead. Look at Psalm 23, verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord for how long? I know that eternal life is coming, that a resurrection is coming. One last one, look at uh, or two. Look at Isaiah 26, verse 19. Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. Literally, the earth is going to open up and the dead are going to rise. They have always known that God promised a resurrection from the dead. And then Daniel chapter 12 verse 2, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame, and everlasting contempt. Here's the point. Everybody is going to experience a resurrection. Are y'all tracking with me? Everybody. Some are going to be resurrected and given an eternal body fitted for heaven, for eternal life. Others are going to be risen from the dead and given a body fitted for eternal death. One that will always die, but it will never die. 
and you will be fitted for one or the other, depending on where you stand with God Almighty. But they have known this for ages, that the resurrection was coming. Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, told us that this psalm was written by David because he looked forward to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So remember, before I read this, Peter knew that when David wrote this, David was actually looking forward to the coming resurrection of the Messiah. That David didn't even know his name was Jesus, but he knew he was coming. And so Peter preaches this psalm and he says, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Talking to the Jews here. God raised Him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for Him to be held by it. For David says concerning Him, I saw the Lord always before me, for He is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. And this is him quoting Psalm 16, okay? Therefore my heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, and you will not let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, and this is where Peter preaches on it, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about David that he both died and is buried and his tomb is with us to this day. In other words, the point that Peter's making is when David wrote this psalm about not letting his Holy One see corruption, not leaving his soul in the place of the dead, he couldn't have just been talking about himself. Why? Because David's still in the tomb. David's dead. David's buried. But being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn to David an oath that he would see one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus that God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. And so Peter understood that David looked for a resurrection like many of the Old Testament saints, that David was talking about the resurrection when he wrote Psalm chapter 16. Are y'all full? Are y'all everybody clear on that? Now we can study Psalm 16 and you can understand what David was talking about. So I want to outline it for you. If you've got a um, outline that I gave you, there are four things that you need to see in this psalm. The first thing, David overcomes with prayer. And this is verses 1 through 4. So if you're drawing in your Bible or whatever, you can outline that. The second thing, David overcomes the fear of death with hope. Verses 5 and 6. The third thing, David overcomes the fear of death with help. With help. Verses 7 and 8. And then the fourth thing, David overcomes the fear of death with faith with faith. And that's verses 9 through 11. So let's look at it again. In verse 1 through 4, we see David overcoming the fear of death. Remember, again, he's facing death. His prayer request is right out the bat. Lord, I need You to keep me. I need Your protection because I am going to the grave. I know I'm fixing to die. And if You don't protect me and You don't keep me, I have no hope. And David understands that. So this whole psalm is about how David deals with this fear of I'm fixing to die. So next we see that he overcomes with prayer. He starts out, Lord, preserve me. And then he tells them why 
He knows God will protect him. How God will... He ain't saying God is going to keep him from going to the grave. No, he said in verse 10, I trust that he won't abandon me in the grave. That's what I trust. I'm not just trusting that God is going to keep me alive. How many of you know that if you live to be 200 years old, one day this flesh has to die? Do you understand that? If you get healed from sickness a thousand times, a million times, one day this flesh must return to the dust from which it came. Y'all understand that? And so David knows that, but he trusts that God is going to preserve him. Why? Look what he says next in verse 1. For in you I take refuge. Here's why I know God is going to preserve my life even in the grave. Because I come to God for my safety. Is there anywhere else you can go for safety from death? It's coming for you, ain't it? What is it that I forget the old saying? The only thing you can be sure of is death and... (laughs) You can be sure of it though, can't you? You can be sure of it. I take my refuge in you. David knows God is his only hope. Look at verse 2. God has made promises to David and David has made God his master. Look what he says in verse 2. I say to the Lord, this is what David confesses, I say to Yahweh, the great I Am, the self-existing One, You are my Master. You are my Lord of all, my sovereign ruler. Here we see David confesses that I have made you my Lord. You remember what Romans chapter 10 said about how we, what we must do and what we must confess if we're going to be saved? We must confess that Jesus is what? Lord. Now listen, you don't make Jesus your Lord. (laughs) He is Lord. What you do is confess Jesus is Lord. See, because all of your life in your sin, you have refused to confess that He is Lord, and you lived your life according to your own rules, right? I don't look to Him as my Lord and Master. Instead, I am my own Lord and Master. David says, one thing I know I've done, and one reason I know God is going to preserve me, because I have confessed that, Yahweh, You are my Lord. You're my Master. You are the one that I follow. You are the one that I put my trust in. Notice what he says next. I have no good apart from you. Here's the next thing that David does. He confesses his sin before God and he recognizes that God, I already know that death is coming for me because I'm a sinner. I know what I am. David knew what he was. I have no good. Guys, let me tell you something. If me getting to heaven depends on me performing even one righteous work or failing to do one righteous work, guess what? I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. And so what, I, what David understands here is that God, I depend on You for my righteousness. Unless You give me righteousness, I'm not going to have it. Anybody in here know that? You know that about your life? And so he understands here that unless God gives his Lord and Master, gives him his righteousness, he's not going to have it. Look at Romans chapter 4, verse 2 through 8. I alluded to this in the sunrise service, but this is what he's talking about here. If Abraham was justified by works or declared not guilty by works, then he has something to boast about, don't he? 
In other words, if Abraham could be saved by doing this and doing this and following these commandments, then Abraham could stand and say, the reason I have righteousness is because I did and I did and I did. But, not before God. (laughs) You're not going to be able to boast before God. No one. You know why? Because Abraham doesn't even have good apart from God. All right. David don't have good apart from God. For what does the Scripture say? Here's how Abraham got righteousness. The Scripture says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift. In other words, if you did work and God paid you something for it, first off, it's not going to be righteousness. But if you did work and Abraham did work, then the wages that he gets from that, the payment that he gets, is not going to be counted as a gift, is it? Why? Because he worked for it. So the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as is due. You work, you get paid. When you go to work, the, the employer expects you to do something, right? Some of y'all, I saw, I saw a video one day that said, um, when I go to work, I hide because they say good workers are hard to find. <laughs> That's some of y'all, ain't it? But the fact of the matter is your employer expects you to do something, right? And He expects you because He has a payment for you at the end of your work. It's your due. It's what's expected. And to the one who does not work, but believes in Him who justifies the ungodly, His faith is counted to Him as righteousness. Ain't y'all glad this is the way it is? Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, and here he quotes another psalm, He says, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are just forgiven. It's a gift. Whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. And so there again, what we see is that David understands that his righteousness only comes from God and God alone. And it's the same for us. If you expect righteousness, it's only going to come in one way. You confess that Jesus is your Lord. You understand that? You believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead and God promises you this. When you believe Him, I will accredit it to you and I will account it towards you as righteousness and I will save you. I will do that. And the Bible says that Abraham believed God. And because he believed God, God accredited. Now that's what David is doing in Psalm 16. He knows he's facing death. Where does he go for comfort? He prays and he confesses to God, God, you're my refuge. You're the only place I can go. God, You're my Lord. I have made You my Master. God, You are my righteousness. I have no good apart from You. And then look at verse 3. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent one in whom is all my delight. Here's the point of this one. David understands there are two things that you have to do to truly be worshiping God. Jesus said the whole law is summed up in two commandments. You know what it is? Loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and loving who? Loving God and loving each other. And what he says right here is, God, I confess to you that the saints in the land, the people that belong to you, they are the excellent ones and in whom is all my delight. God, I love your people. And then next he says in verse 4, the sorrows of those who run after another God are just going to multiply. 
their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their name on my lips. Here's what David is saying. God, I love you and you alone. The people that are running after other gods, they got no refuge. They got no hope. They got no righteousness. They got no happiness. They got no joy. They got no hope of pleasures forevermore. They don't have any of that. But let me tell you what they do have. The people that run after, after other gods, they have sorrows that are going to be multiplied, not joy that is going to be multiplied. And so he just confesses here in the first four verses of prayer, God, You're my refuge. You're my protection. God, You're my Lord. You're my Master. God, You are the one that I get my righteousness from. And if You don't give it to me, I have no good apart from You. And God, I love You with all my heart, soul, and mind, and I love Your people. And then he goes into overcoming with hope. So then he moves into hope. Look what he says in verse 5 and 6. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. I love this right here. Because in the old feast, in the, um, in the ancient feast when they came together, each guest had a chosen portion that was yours, a chosen amount, and honored guests might get a little more than some of the less honored guests. And they had a chosen portion of the meat, the better meats. They had a chosen portion of the wine, how much wine they would get to feast on. And here's what David says. He says, I know that God, You are my chosen portion. You are the one that is going to determine what I get when I die. You are the one that is going to be my capacity, my cup, and how much it fits into it. You remember what uh, David said in Psalm 23? He said, Lord, You anoint my head with oil, and my cup does what? (laughs) In other words, You fill it so full, my cup can't contain it. But God, on the other hand, when I look at You, You're my chosen portion. You're going to give me the best of the best. And You're my cup. And when God gives you the cup, let me tell you something. It'll always be full, and it'll always be running over. It'll always be at full capacity. And so he says here, you're my chosen portion. I have chosen the Lord to be my portion. And not only that, look what he says next at the end of verse 5. You hold my lot. In other words, you secure it. Now you remember King Saul? When King, when King Saul came and God gave him the kingdom, what happened when King Saul was disobedient? God took the kingdom. And so here's what he's saying. God, you hold my lot. Ain't you glad today? that when you mess up tomorrow, God don't turn and take your salvation away from you? Wouldn't that be a shame if it depended on you to continue walking in your own righteousness in order for God to be your portion and your cup? David says, God, one thing I know for sure in the way I take comfort in overcoming the fear of death is that I know You're my portion. You know, David was the youngest of his family. You know what David got as an inheritance from his dad? He's the last on the list. The eldest son got the double portion. The next son got a third of it. And then so on and so on and so on. David's portion wasn't very much. But when it came to God being his portion, let me tell you something. David didn't look to what he was going to get in this life. He looked to what God was fixing to give him in the next. And so he says, you're my chosen portion, you're my cup, and you secure it. You are not going to let it be taken away. You're not going to take it away. It is my portion and my cup 
because you have given it to me. And then David looks at the Lord's inheritance in verse 6. Look what he says in verse 6. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Now here's where you need to know a little background to understand this. Look at Joshua chapter 18 verses 8 through 10. You're going to see about the, the, the lines and the lots, alright? So the men arose and went, and Joshua charged those who went to write a description of the land, saying, Go up and down in the land and write a description of it and return to me, and I will cast lots for you here before the Lord in Shiloh. So the men went and passed up and down in the land and wrote in a book a description of it and by towns in seven divisions. Then they came to Joshua to the camp at Shiloh. Now think about this. Here's what you need to understand. In this day and time, the way they determined who got what lot of land is lots were drawn and the Lord casts a lot to whoever gets what. David understands, the Lord has cast my lot. He has secured it. And the lines of my lot have fallen in pleasant places and a beautiful place. Look what he says next here in Micah chapter 2, verse 5. Therefore you will have none to cast the line by lot in the assembly of the Lord. And he was talking to the people losing their inheritance, losing their land. The point being is when you put this language together, you understand that what David is saying is because I have chosen the Lord to be my portion, because I have chosen the Lord to be my cup, and He secures my lot, the lines of this lot that they would cast to survey it, David knows it has fallen to be a beautiful inheritance. David looks forward and he understands something. See, here's our problem. We look and we think we have to have the best of the best right here and right now. We have to have this and that, don't we? Come on, be honest with me. And yet David looks ahead and he says... My chosen portion and my lot is not in any of this kingdom. It's in the fact that I have chosen the Lord to be my portion and my lot. I have confessed Him as my Lord. I have trusted Him as my Savior. And the the lines of my lot have fallen in beautiful places. David looks forward to his inheritance and he knows he's got a place coming that cannot compare to anything on this earth. So he looks to his inheritance. And then, notice in uh, verses 7-8, through he overcomes with help. His hope is that he knows what's coming in the future. But he don't just do it with that. He overcomes with help. Look at verse 7. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. What does God do? Because see, right now, all we can do is look forward to it. We know it's coming. We believe it's coming, right? David says, right now I need some direction and I need some help to make sure that I'm going the right direction. And David knows, God gives me the counsel that I need. Folks, right now, you're receiving counsel from the Lord, not from me. Have I said anything to you this morning that wasn't directly from the Word of God and that alone? Nothing. Right now, you are receiving counsel from the Lord. He's giving you help to overcome the fear of trying to hold on to this life, not wanting to die to this life, not wanting to live for the next life. He's giving you help to overcome this fear. Counsel. And not only that, but look at what David does with this counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. 
He listens to the instructions of the heart from the counsel of God and this helps him along the way as he's dealing with facing things like death. And then he goes on next in verse 8 and he says this, I have set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. So David doesn't take credit for being able to stand firm in his faith right now. What does David give the credit to? The Lord is at my right hand. He's with me. The Lord is with me. And because the Lord is with me, I know that I am not going to be shaken. My hope is not going to be crushed. And so David overcomes with help from the Lord. And then finally in verses 9-11, through look what he does here. He overcomes with faith. Notice, I love this word. I said it in sunrise service. The first word of verse 9, therefore. Wherefore, therefore. In other words, think about what he's saying. Because I know that all of these things are true. Because I know that He's my refuge. Because I know that He's my Lord. Because I know that He's my righteousness. Because I know that He is my portion and my cup. Because I know I love Him and I love God's people. Because I know that He has a beautiful inheritance for me. Because I know that He is with me and He counsels me and He instructs me. Because I know these things, therefore, look what David says about where he's at. Therefore, my heart is what? Glad. How does David overcome? He has faith. What is faith according to Hebrews chapter 11? The full assurance of what? Things hoped for. See, here's the difference in your hope and biblical hope. Your hope is this. Man, I hope that preacher gets done by 12 o'clock. That's your hope. Do you know that preacher's going to get done by 12 (laughs) o'clock? But you hope so, don't you? Here's the thing. Biblical hope is different. Biblical hope says God has promised it and because God has promised it, I know. I have full assurance of hope. David doesn't look back and go, well, I've confessed Him as Lord and I love Him and, and, and man, I just, I just hope. See, this is my problem with so many denominations today that don't believe you can have full assurance of faith. They go, man, I just hope that one day when I stand before Him, it was going to be enough. Ain't that a shame? I'm going to tell you something. You better have full assurance that what He has done for you has paid the price. And you know that He is your lot. He is your righteousness. And He secures it. And it's not going to be moved. And because David knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is his portion, that God is his protection, that God is his master and Lord, that God is his righteousness, that God is his pleasant and beautiful inheritance, and that God secures it because he knows God counsels him and instructs him and he is always with him. David says, therefore, even though I'm looking death right in the eye, my heart is glad. My heart is glad. And then look what he says next. Not only is my heart glad, my whole being rejoices. What does it mean to your whole being rejoices? 
everything in David. He is looking death in the face. He is laying his life down. And yet, he rejoices with everything in him. How do you do that? Resurrection. He's looking at the resurrection, right? And as he looks at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and he believes it with all of his heart, and he knows it's coming, he's glad in his heart, and he rejoices with everything in him. And then look what it says next. He says in verse 10, here's why I can be glad and rejoice, because I know that you will not This is faith. This is full assurance right here, ain't it? You will not abandon my soul to Sheol, to the place of the dead. You're not going to leave me in the grave. No, He knows. He knows that God is not going to abandon Him even in death. And He is not going to let your Holy One see corruption. Now we know ultimately the Holy One's talking about Jesus, right? But don't you know that in Jesus you too are the Holy One? And He's not going to let the Holy One see corruption. He is going to raise it up in a new body, in an everlasting body, in a body without any blemishes. I might even have muscles in this new body. I don't know. I won't have to suck my gut anymore, baby. It's going to be pretty cool, Fagan. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to call you out like that. Apologize. David overcomes with full assurance of faith. Full assurance. He knows that God is not going to abandon his soul to the grave. And he knows that his Holy One is not going to see corruption. And then finally, because these things are true, he has full confidence of faith in verse 11. God, you make known to me the path of life. What is the path of life? You go to God for your protection. You confess Him as your Lord. You trust Him for your righteousness. You love Him with all your heart, soul, and mind, and you love His people. You listen to His counsel and His instruction, and you know that He's with you, and you follow Him. And because of that, you have a beautiful inheritance and a beautiful, beautiful uh, home in heaven that is coming. And when you know this path of life, He says here at the end of verse 11, in your presence, there is going to be what? Fullness of joy. And at your right hand are going to be what? Pleasures. For how long? Forevermore. Forevermore. If there's one thing I want to get across to you in closing this morning, and I wrote a closing on that name, so I'm I'm not even going, I don't even know what I wrote, so read that and get whatever you want out of it. But here's one thing I think you need to understand this morning. Number one, because you are a sinner and you know you're a sinner, I don't have to convince you of that this morning. Because you are a sinner, death is coming for you. And guess what? For the most part, you don't get to choose when that is. But it is coming for you. And when it comes, you can either be scared to death or you can be in a place to where literally you can have gladness in your heart. Your whole being can rejoice. You can have full confidence that you know what is coming next. But the only way you're going to know that 
is if you understand where your righteousness to get there is going to come from, number one, and if you understand that there is going to be a resurrection, that God is going to bring you up and He's not going to leave you in the land of the dead in Hades. One last scripture I want to read to you comes from Romans chapter 10. I think it's verse 9 and 10. Did I give you that one? Listen to what Jesus said. Or Paul said, but he's quoting back from the words of Jesus or the words of Moses that came from Him. But he says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Ain't that interesting? That that's exactly what David did. He didn't know Him as Jesus, but he looked at God and he said, Yahweh, You're my Lord. You are Lord, but I confess it. I don't rebel against it. I surrender to it. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Folks, do you believe that this morning? Here's what Abraham would say to you. God just accredited that to you as righteousness. You have no good apart from Him. But when you confess Him as Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, God promises you, you will be saved. And if you can do this, look what it says, for with the heart one believes and is justified. Why? Because God gives justification for faith. He says, you believe my word? Here's righteousness. And that don't even make sense most of the time, does it? Why would God make that kind of trade? Just because He loves He loves us. With the heart one believes and he is justified, and with the mouth one confesses it and is saved. I pray this morning that you understand that if you're not laying your life down for the cause of Christ, that if you're not denying yourself fleeting, passing pleasures of sin, that if you're just living your life, it's because you have not confessed Him as Lord. You have not said, Jesus, You are my Lord. I confess it. I surrender to it. And you have not necessarily believed yet that God has raised Him from the dead because you're not walking in that same new life that He gives you from His resurrection. And so I ask you this morning, when you come and you stand before death that is coming for you, are you going to face it with fear? Or are you going to overcome it with faith? The choice is yours. There would be no better Sunday than right now for you to walk up this aisle and say, Preacher, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to pray. I don't know what to do. But I want to be saved. No better day than today.